You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. Tommy will call in from spring training. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Uh, the Caps did what they were supposed to do last night, and that is beat the Kings. They did it 3-2. to two. They needed to get that one last night. I watched Virginia and Virginia Tech last night, uh, Aaron. Virginia won the game 64 to 58. One interesting note if you didn't pay atten- uh, pay attention to the game, uh Virginia Tech shot 3 of 28 from behind the arc. This is a 41% three-point shooting team that went 3 for 28. And so if you know anything about Virginia, you just say, well there's Virginia's defense, you know one of the best defensive teams in the country. And actually, if you watch the game, you would have been shocked how many of those threes were wide open looks. Yeah. And so Virginia Tech was close there. They had a legitimate shot to beat Virginia last night. Um, I actually, Buzz Williams is one of my favorite coaches. I think the Hokies with the right draw could win a few games in the tournament. Um, the truth is, they could have won last night. They get Duke next week at home. They need one of these big ones because they really haven't gotten one all year long. Um, they beat Purdue early in the season when Purdue was still trying to th- figure things out. Um, that's their only win over a ranked team the entire season. They're going to be in the tournament. They're likely uh, a five seed or a six seed somewhere in that neighborhood unless they beat Duke and make a run in the ACC tournament. But I, I like Virginia Tech. I think they're well coached. I thought Buzz Williams did a great job at Marquette. I just think it's a good team. And last night they had a legit shot, legit shot to beat Virginia had they made a few more of their open looks from behind the arc. Um, three for twenty-eight is a is an awful night. And many times with Virginia, you know, it is their defense. And if you're just a box score reader, you probably just thought it was Virginia's defense last night. No, Virginia Tech had a lot of open looks, uh, which gets me to Virginia real quickly because they've got two losses on the season, both of them to Duke, at home and and away. The, the recent loss was at home in Charlottesville. They've won three in a row since that loss, including two road wins against ranked opponents. So bear with me as I say what I'm going to say because they have beaten two ranked opponents on the road in the last week, North Carolina a week ago and Virginia Tech last night. But Virginia looks sloppy to me recently. Um, They don't look like the same team. Uh, They're turning the ball over more. I think personally it's that they're a little bit disinterested right now after that second loss to Duke, Um, a game in which Duke shot lights out and beat them. I mean, if Duke plays the way they played against Virginia – in Charlottesville a week and a half ago. They're not going to lose. It's scary that a team could be disinterested and still win in Chapel Hill and then last night against a ranked team in Blacksburg. Um, But Virginia looks different to me. Again, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about if you're a Virginia fan because I think this Virginia team's really good. I actually think it's better than the team last year because they'll have DeAndre Hunter. They're going to have a lottery pick. You know, they didn't have him in that loss to UMBC. They're going to be a one seed. You know, I think if you're if you're a UVA fan and beyond the team, you're probably thinking the same way they are. Let's get this regular season over. Let's get Duke in the ACC finals and beat them. And let's get to the tournament real quickly so we can begin the process of putting UMBC behind us 
as much as you can put it behind you because it'll never actually leave. It'll never be completely behind you because you will always be the first team as a one seed to lose to a 16. But I I think this is still a team when we get to the beginning of the tournament that will make a run to the final four. Now, the draw will have something to do with that. You know, they've had some tough draws when Tony Bennett's had some really good teams. They had Michigan State in back-to-back years, and Michigan State bullied them pretty much out of the tournament in back-to-back years. They had that huge lead against Syracuse in the Elite Eight and blew it. That was the chance for them to get to the Final Four. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Virginia has not been to the Final Four since 1984, and it was the year after Ralph. Ralph's senior year, they lost to NC State in the regional finals, in the East Regional Finals, at the Omni in Atlanta, the old Omni in Atlanta. And, of course, NC State made their run. NC State had to win that game in the ACC Finals against Virginia to get into the NCAA tournament. And then Jim Valvano's 1983 uh, Wolfpack team made that incredible survive-and-advance run through that NCAA tournament, which uh, culminated in another win over Virginia um, and then a win over Houston in the national championship game on the Lorenzo Charles dunk at the buzzer. You know, I'm just thinking, actually, they beat Virginia in the ACC finals and they beat uh, Virginia in the Eastern Regional finals, and I'm not sure which one of those games was at the Omni. One of them was at the Omni. The ACC tournament may have been elsewhere. I can't remember. I'm going to look that up, though, real quickly, because I'm actually interested to see uh, when w- where they played that. I know most of you couldn't care less, but... I care. Um, The ACC tournament was at the Omni, and the Virginia game in the the final – oh, that was the West final. Okay, that was the West final, Ogden, Utah. My fault. So it was was the Omni in the ACC tournament, and then when NC State made their run, uh, they were in the West region, as was Virginia. So I'm assuming that – I wonder who the number one seed in the East was that year. It may have been North Carolina. may have been the number one seed in the East. But perhaps, yeah, it must have been. Um, Or maybe it was Georgetown. Georgetown may have been the number one seed in the East that year. I would have to look that up. St. John's, I believe, looking it up now. St. John's was the one seed in the East regional that year? Yes, it was St. John's and North Carolina was the two. Yeah, North Carolina was the two in the East. Um, but St. John's did not beat North Carolina in that tournament to get to the Final Four. Uh, because no, St. they John's lost in didn't, the Sweet 16. Yeah, they lost in the Sweet 16 because I want to say in that East Regional, that that particular year um, was Houston over Louisville in one semifinal, NC State over Georgia mm-hmm. in the other semifinal. So Georgia came out of the East. Georgia came out of the East as a four. And Georgia beat – who did they upset? Did they upset – North Carolina, or did they upset St. John's? I can't they, remember. They upset St. John's. Okay. Well, both of them. Okay. They, they beat St. But they John's beat both in the of Sweet them. 16, and then North and then Carolina, North Carolina in the Elite Eight. Eight. Yep. There you go. Uh, where was Georgetown that year, and what were they seeded? That, w- that would have been the second Georgetown year of Patrick. Georgetown was five in the Midwest. And was that the year they lost to Memphis in the yes, second round? correct. Okay. Um, and Memphis made uh, – actually, I think Memphis may have lost to Houston. Yes. Uh, that year. That year, Houston ended up playing NC State in the finals in 83. They beat Maryland in the second round of that tournament. That was Bias's freshman year. And Bias hit a shot at the buzzer 
in the first round to beat UT Chattanooga. They played then the number one seed in the draw was Houston because they were the number one team in the country, I believe, at that point. And they played Houston in the second round, by the way, in Houston. All right, in the summit, I believe it was, in Houston, Texas. And Maryland led at halftime because they slowed the the game down. I think they led or were they're either down one or up one at halftime. And Lefty lefty walked off the floor at halftime, pumping his left fist into the air like they had won the game. They ended up losing by, I think, eight or ten, something like that. But anyway, uh, this is what happens on this show every once in a while. We just end up getting sidetracked. Anyway, Virginia... The following year after Sampson was eliminated by NC State in the West Regional Final in Ogden, Utah, the next year they went to the Final Four without Sampson. Um, and that was, uh, that was the Final Four that featured uh, – th- uh, no, that was not. That was the year Georgetown won it, uh, winning the finals uh, over Houston the following year. Uh, but Georgetown, did they beat Virginia in the semifinals? Or did Houston beat Virginia in the semifinals? See, now we're going to go back and look that one up. The 84 tournament. Um, the 84 tournament. I think I have the final four right there in the 1984 tournament. Here it is. I got it. Uh, it was Houston over Virginia in the semifinals and Georgetown over Kentucky in the semifinals. And then you ended up with Georgetown winning their national championship uh, over Houston, 84 to 75, by the way. One of those games where I remember exactly what the point spread was because I had Houston for the maximum allowed plus eight and a half, and they lost by nine. Um, Anyway, uh, all right, so we got sidetracked there. Virginia is going to be a tough team this year. I like them to make a run. You just don't want them to get up against a team that's really athletic and physical. I think those are the teams that perhaps they have the most trouble with. Uh, Maryland tonight. Here's a prediction, bold prediction to start the show, or at least early in the show. Maryland finally wins a game under Mark Turgeon on the road against a ranked opponent. They are on the road tonight at Iowa. Uh, Iowa's ranked 21st in the country. Maryland is only a two-point underdog in this game, and the public's all over Iowa. I like Maryland to break that string. I, I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about you know, the Michigan game and the 0-19 run uh, Turgeons had at Maryland against ranked teams on the road tonight, another ranked team on the road, uh, and this will be the last opportunity to play a ranked team on the road uh, this year uh, to break that string. Um, but Iowa is a different type of team than most of the teams in the Big Ten. Iowa leads the league in scoring. They average over 80 points a game. Actually, I think they average about 81 and a half points a game. Uh, they get to the free throw line again a lot. They like to play up tempo. They will pressure you. Um, it's always zone pressure. It's usually you know a, a one three one or a one two two half court or three quarter court trap where they're trying to trap you when you cross half court. Um, they'll drop sometimes to zone, but they want to play faster. They are big. You know, they've got – Iowa's got uh, the kid uh, from Murray here locally, Luca Garza, who's turned into a really good player. I don't think Maryland recruited him. I could be wrong about that. Uh, you'll go back and check the, the the rivals, you know, list of teams that offered. I don't think Maryland offered Garza. Garza was 6'11", played here in D.C. Uh, he's a sophomore now at Iowa. He's a good player. I mean, this kid can play. He can – 
He's got a lot of good low post moves. Did they offer him? Uh, no, they they did recruit him, but did not make an offer. Yeah, I didn't think they offered. Maybe it was because he was never going to stay home and he wanted to go away. Um, but they're big. Uh, they've got you know multiple guys of six nine, six ten, and bigger. Um, they have Jordan Bohannon, who it just seems like he's been there forever, even though he's only a junior, uh, and he can really shoot it and has been able to shoot it. And he's hurt Maryland in the past. Um, this is this is a big one for the Terps tonight. Huge game for them. They didn't get Michigan. You know, they were a solid underdog against Michigan. I was disappointed overall with you know the the overall game against Michigan. Um, tonight's big. Uh, they need it. They could have a big week in with respect to seeding if they could get Iowa tonight and Ohio State at home on Saturday. Um, they didn't move up at all in the rankings after beating Purdue and losing to Michigan. I actually thought they would move up a little bit, but they remained at 24. None of that really matters. They're somewhere between a five and a six seed right now in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but to get up to that four line, to get into that top 16, um, give themselves perhaps a chance to play in D.C., they got to make a run. They got to make a run starting tonight. You know, they've got uh, five regular season games left. They're a two point dog tonight. They'll be favored Saturday against Ohio State. They'll probably be favored at Penn State, even though Penn State's playing better. They've got Michigan at home and Minnesota at home. You got to win four. Uh, you got to win four of the five here, Aaron. And one yeah. of them, one, you know, th- that means one of them comes either tonight or against Michigan at home. I think they got a really good chance to win tonight. Uh, I like them to win tonight. It could be a real, you know, turning point for them. If if they're going to limp into the tournament and be a seven or an eight seed, you're not looking at a second weekend kind of a run more likely than not. They got to be on that four or five line. They don't have to be. Um, matchups are everything when you get to the tournament and they could be an eight seed and match up super, you know, really well with one of the one seeds. Although to be honest with you, I don't think there's one, one seed that they would really match up well with, you know, not Duke, not Virginia, although they had a chance against Virginia, um, Tennessee, probably the, the, or Kentucky, Gonzaga, no. no yeah, Gonzaga no. would be the one I want the least out I, of all yeah, Well, Gonzaga would be the one. Yeah, they're, they're loaded. and I Look, Maryland's good. I'm not going to short sell them here. Uh, go beat Iowa tonight, please. Uh, that would be nice. Um, there was some news, too, uh, more news with Maryland. I know we're doing a lot of Maryland here, but Maryland got another transfer that uh, this Josh Jackson, who quarterbacked Virginia Tech last year before getting hurt, he's 6'4", he's a dual-threat quarterback. Um, you know, those that, that follow college football or you Virginia Tech fans know that this guy's pretty talented. Florida State wanted him to, just like they wanted the, the, uh, the four-star recruit from Louisiana. Right. And after they didn't get the four-star uh, uh, recruit from Louisiana that Maryland got, um, then, uh, Maryland also went after Josh Jackson and Florida state wanted him and Jackson committed yesterday to transferring to Maryland. Now he more likely than anybody, including the four star that they got has the best chance to start next year. Yes. You know, this is, he, he is the odds on favor to be the starter week one, yeah. even over piggy. He's a bigger dude. You know, I don't know what his height is. What's his height. He's got to be six, two, six, three, somewhere in that six, range. Three. 
Um, you know, a bigger dude who can run. He he broke six two two sixteen. Okay, so he broke his leg, right? You know, early in the season. There, there were a number of things. There were also supposedly some off field stuff and just some some conflict with the coaches. But yeah. So Maryland with Kasim Hill coming off a second ACL and Terrell Pigram, who is tiny. Um, uh, you know, they continue. Look, this is not a surprise to anybody. Well, Kasim who... Hill's probably not on the roster anymore. He put his name into the transfer portal. Oh, Kasim Hill did? Yes. I didn't see that. Yes. Was that because they recruited the other kid? Well, I, I think it's a combination of the recruiting and the fact that he's probably not going to play next year and he just probably needs a fresh start. Interesting. I did not see that. Kasim Hill was a big get out of St. John's. It doesn't necessarily mean he'll transfer, but I I don't blame him for doing it in this this situation. uh, The one thing I think everybody knew Loxley would do um, is that he was going to be able to recruit. He was going to recruit, and he was going to uh, get talent to College Park, which, by the way, was already getting talent under Durkin. Durkin had put together back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes, something that I don't think had ever been done at Maryland before. I don't think Ralph had a back-to-back top 25. I know he had a couple of top 25s, but not back-to-back. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and and certainly I don't think that you know anybody, Vander Linden or Duffner or anybody that came before him, including Bobby Ross, ever had back-to-back recruiting classes like Durkin just had. And now you got one of the greatest recruiters in the game in Loxley, and you're in an area with a lot of talent. Maryland football is going to be talented. They're going to have talent under Loxley. We'll find out if he can coach it, you know, when the games start. Um, but but he can he can sell, man. He can recruit. Uh, one last thing I wanted to get to real quickly before we uh, get to Tommy, who will call in from, um, from spring training, is weather. <laughs> Might as well, because I got asked about it this morning. I was on Tony's podcast, um, and a lot of you want a weather update. I will just tell you that these are the kinds of forecasts that really end up busting on the low end, that the warm air comes in aloft much sooner than the models necessarily indicate. Now, what that ends up what you end up seeing with that is you end up seeing less snow that than is what for is forecasted. And I would say in the two, three inch area and more ice. But I think if you're in the city and the immediate suburbs, I think it's going to be rough tomorrow morning. But by the time we get to tomorrow night, it's going to be rain. That's what I think. I don't think this is going to be nearly the big deal. Others are making it out to be. It could be. I mean, it's the, the forecast will change multiple times between now and tomorrow morning, but I just have a sense that this will bust on the low side in terms of overall snow. There is a chance, however, I'll just give you a heads up, first weekend in March, a big storm in March, which is, is not unusual around here for us to get possibilities of huge snowstorms in March. In the meantime, it's going to be in the 50s by the time we get to the weekend. Rain, but it's going to feel better. Give me a minute real quickly to tell you about a new sponsor that we have on the show. It's Scentbird. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service. 
If you want to smell amazing, this is the way to do it. It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle, which is important because good colognes and perfumes can be expensive, and many of you aren't even sure exactly what you want, or you've just gotten tired of what you've been wearing. Some of you probably got a gift a few years ago, and you've been wearing that same fragrance ever since. If you want to smell great and you think you've got some pretty good taste, but picking out the right scent can take time and it isn't that easy, Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and a lot more. You choose the cologne you want to try and Scentbird will send you a 30-day supply. I tried it. My wife tried it. It makes sense. It's easy. You can check out user ratings and reviews on any fragrance to help you. And Scentbird actually has a quiz you can take that will help you develop and find a more personalized fragrance through that recommendation process. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. You got to go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. That's scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash KSDC, and you'll get 50% off your first month. You get to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50 when you go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, let's bring in Tommy. Uh, Tommy is down at Nat's Spring Training in West Palm, which has to be lovely this time of year in mid-February, where we're expecting tomorrow several inches of snow, followed by you know some ice and just beautiful weather for February up here. I, I, I'm sure it's nicer down there. How, although you did tell me it was too warm for you. Oh, I didn't say it was too warm. I just said it was warm. It's 86 degrees down here, you know, uh, and I'm all lathered up, which is, I'm sure, a great visual and uh, suntan <laughs> lotion. Yeah. And uh, sunny out. Last night at 10 o'clock at night, it was 82 degrees here. Wow. I mean, yeah. see, there's and no humidity, too, this time of year. I mean, it's just... Well, prob- it's a little bit humid is today. It? Today's, yeah, a little bit humid. I'm not... For, for me, it's not uncomfortable but if I was out there shagging fly balls and chasing ground balls, yeah. it might be a little rough. Well, what um, in a full uniform? What's the talk down there? I mean, how much of it is just dominated by Bryce Harper? You know what's amazing? And look, I don't want to start, you know, jumping on the Bryce Harper Nats are better off without him train and that he was a detriment to the team. That's all BS. Okay, that that's that's a that's fantasy. That said, I'm struck by how his absence is does not hang over the clubhouse. And it re- made me realize his presence was not that big inside that clubhouse. I mean, his pre- I think Bryce Harper's presence was bigger outside the locker room than it was inside. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wasn't a bad teammate. It wasn't like guys didn't like him. He was never it's a leader. That, no, yeah, and that's that's so evident now because, I mean, it's business as usual. Life has 
life is moving on without him here. And unlike when Worth left and there felt like there was uh, like some kind of a hole, although I thought that was overinflated too, there's no vacuum here. There, he didn't leave behind a space that that seems to have to be filled, at least not inside that, that room. And I'm a little bit surprised at that. Do you think I guess that, it wasn't obvious to me when, when, until I got here. Do you think when we get to opening day and we start playing real games, though, that fans will miss him? Yes, I do. I, I do think for how long by then, you know, who knows? They may have adjusted to it by then. If he signs uh, with Philadelphia, would, I, if he signs with Philadelphia, the hardcore fans are going to be upset about it. But I think, in, yeah. I think in general, him every day in the lineup, you know, over 162 games, was a reason to to pay attention even more than just you know the team and how well it was doing. I agree. I was kind of surprised how much anecdotal. A conversation I would have with people this winter, where they would all they would ask about was Bryce Harper, and some of them would say they've got to sign Harper. I'm not even going to pay attention to them. Again, it, it's just a handful of people maybe tell me that, but uh, it was the conversation about the Nationals. So yeah, I, I think I think his absence outside, you know, among the fan base, uh, will 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 have an impact. Uh, unless the Nats get off to a good start and uh, are competing early, and then people will move on and, and concentrate on winning. Were were you? Uh, so what what are the other storylines there other than than Bryce Harper? I mean, it's pitching. It's you know what what are the things that people are going to be focused on over the next month and a half? Well, yesterday actually Juan Soto uh, arrived at camp. Uh, today's the first full day workout for all players yesterday was the position players reporting Juan Soto reporting and he has a presence like him reporting was a big deal you know usually on every team there's a handful of guys three or four or five guys who when they come to camp they hold a big they hold court like a mini press conference when they come it's a big deal Juan Soto was one of those guys now and he wasn't even in the major league clubhouse last spring Last spring, he was a minor leaguer, and I remember after he got an exhibition game last spring and and drove in a run with a double, we had to interview him in the hallway at the other side of the building. Now he's got his own locker inside the clubhouse, and he he he's well-liked by his teammates, and there's a lot of high expectations for him. The other story that, that is kind of a baseball insider thing but has really struck me of late, is how excited they are about their catching duo of Johnny Gomes right. and Kurt Suzuki. They're going to split uh, the catching between these two veteran catchers, either one of which by themselves would be an improvement over what they've had the last couple of years. But the impact these catchers are having on the pitching staff is as much as any catcher who not named Molina can probably have on a pitching staff. And it really sort of brought home to me Probably what a burden it was to carry uh, Matt Weeders for two years and the damage that, that Boris and the Lerner family did by forcing Weeders down their throat, uh, both at the plate and behind the plate. I think those two catchers, if the pitchers are healthy, this could be the best Nats pitching we've ever seen. 
uh, with Patrick Corbin, you know, added through yes. free agency, and Annabelle Sanchez, who's going to be right, Tommy, the fourth starter. Yes. Would it right? Scherzer, starter. Corbin, Strasburg, and, and Sanchez. Yeah. Who's well, the, who's the uh, fifth Scherzer. starter? Joe Ross. Well, you've got you've got Joe Ross. You got Eric Fetty competing, and you've got Jeremy Hellickson, right? Who was the That's fifth right. starter at at the end of last year? And I wouldn't be surprised to see another face pop up uh, sometime this spring. Maybe a veteran out there who signs a minor league contract. What they missed last year was I call that Triple A stash that stash of pitchers at AAA that they could call up when they needed an emergency start or their, their pitching was stretched out because they had to go to the bullpen a lot and they needed an innings eater. You know, they, they had Edwin Jackson, and then they lost him to Oakland last year, and they never really made that up. So uh, I think they're better versed to do that this year. I know that this really ultimately doesn't matter much, but I'm just curious, is it – in order of starters, like when we get to opening day and Scherzer's the opening day starter, I, I'm assuming, is it Corbin who goes next or Strasburg? I'm thinking Strasburg. Okay. I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the guy who's been here the longest. Uh, his, his status, you know, in a way, I think Strasburg is glad that Scherzer is here because he'd rather not be the man, you know, the, the number one guy. But I, I don't think he'd be crazy about, you know, being dropped to third. And I don't think he should. I think he's their second-best starter. And Doolittle's the closer, right? Yes. Yes. Like, there's no, there's no other guy in their bullpen. I mean, I know that Trevor Rosenthal closed at times in St. Louis. Remember, he closed in that playoff series. Oh, yeah. For St. Louis, yeah. but but it but it's Doolittle who is the who's the earmarked closer on on this staff out of this bullpen. Yeah, yes, he's their ninth inning guy. Okay, absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking about the the starting lineup in general because there are going to be some new faces. Brian Brian Dozier is going to start at second base, right? Yes, a guy who has hit 42 home runs in one season, right. and I don't know where those home runs came from because he's not very big. But again, look, as we all know, hitting and power has nothing to do with size sometimes. Right. And then, the so. it, Tommy, is the outfield Soto, Eaton, and Robles? Unless, unless something happens this spring uh, to force Michael Taylor into the picture as a starter, and okay. I don't think I don't anticipate that, it would be Robles in center, Soto in left, and Eaton in right. Who's the favorite? In the National League East, going into the season, I think the Nationals are okay. Now, that could change depending on what happens in Philly this week. Uh, you know, with with uh, the Bryce Harper free agency, uh, but uh, I mean, everybody has given the Nats an A for the off-season moves that they made to make their team better in the bullpen and behind the plate and on the mound. Uh, I mean, you know, they've been universally hailed for their off-season moves. We'll see if the reality is that they work out. But, you know, the, the Phillies, uh, people forget the Nationals finished ahead of the Phillies in the NL last year. But, it, uh, but if but, they sign Harper, the Phillies are a legit contender. And most people oh, will view them that way, right? I think, I think they've become the favorite then, whether that's fair or not. I think they're a legit contender without Harper. 
Uh, and again, I think this is the most competitive National League East the Nats are going to have to deal with, with the Braves, who actually won the division, and the Mets, who still have that great pitching staff, and have added guys like Robinson Cano and others. They'll, they'll be good. So you're going to have uh, a real competition in the NL East between those four teams. Yeah, I mean, I remember last year you and others were saying that, you know, the Phillies and the Braves were both on the come. I mean, they, these were teams that were going to be improved and were going to be better, you know, over the next few years. And obviously the Braves took that step much earlier than anybody anticipated. Um, the Phillies basically finished – I think they finished around 500 last year, and the Mets obviously were disappointing, even with the with the starting pitching. But yes, that division, which at times over the last five years has been one of the worst divisions in all of sport, you know, dominated by the Nationals, is now highly competitive. Yes, like I said, it, it's it's not going to be a cakewalk, and 89 wins could wind up winning that division. Uh, instead of your typical 90-plus win right. season because these teams are going to play each other so many times. All right, um, let's switch subjects. Uh, you weren't here yesterday. Um, we usually aren't here on Mondays, but uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things. First of all, did you watch the All-Star game? I'm just curious. No. Okay. Why would I watch the NBA All-Star game? Well, because I, I think – well, you wouldn't. Uh, you're, you <laughs> – well, here's what I would say. I, I, you, you love basketball, and you love the NBA, yes. and you love the history of the NBA. And I can't stand any of the All-Star weekend-related stuff. And I'm not even a massive fan of the game, but I sat down and watched the game. And I'm not going to bore everybody because I, I talked about this on, on the podcast yesterday. But it's just so obvious that this is the greatest collection of 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 athletes on the planet when you put the best uh, of the best in the NBA on one floor. And by the way, don't ask them to guard each other. Basically, <laughs> you see things from a skill level that you that you don't see in regular games that to me is actually entertaining. I, I just I, I the the argument you hate soccer and I don't I'm not a big soccer guy either, but I do appreciate and can see and understand and respect the skill level required, the athleticism required. But to me, and I, I, I got a lot of follow-up on this after yesterday's show about soccer again, NBA players are the best athletes in the world. I just don't even think it's close. And I think if you watch well, that all... I, I th and I think even more so now, since there's no positions really in, in basketball anymore, you know, everybody kind of plays. Right the same position so you have to be able to do a little bit of everything you do more more than ever so i can see that i understand that um you read the story over the weekend right about joe flacco to the skins that the skins were interested by the way there was um, a follow-up story yesterday from albert breer uh albert breer confirmed or i guess they were giving him credit for breaking the story he didn't somebody in in denver did on sports talk radio um, but that right. uh, Albert Breer um, basically also confirmed that the Redskins were interested in acquiring Joe Flacco. Well, you know, I find that kind of curious. Since I read from a number of sources of local reporters how it would be stupid and foolish and the Redskins would have no chance to, uh, to, uh, to sign a guy or to get a trade for a guy like Flacco. And if that's true, then they must be really dumb to have basically pursued such a foolish exercise 
that they had, according to some media, had no business okay, so you're doing sar- in the first place. Your sarcasm is seeping through, and you're taking a subtle <laughs> shot at I don't I don't know who in the local media, um, but the the funny thing about well, who what, took a, who took a victory lap when when Flacco wound up getting traded to Denver? Who who walked around the internet saying, "See, I told everybody." I have no idea, actually. Who? J.P. Finley. Oh, J.P. did. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't, and, I mean, I didn't and, know that. Was he, again, was he saying there was no ch- – because I've said to you when you came up with your dream of Flacco to Antonio Brown that it wasn't going to happen, that they couldn't afford Flacco, that there would be a market for Flacco. I, I, look, I, it, I, I didn't think I, it was going to happen either. I know you didn't. You know? But I guess but, what, but, I, I, let, let's put aside the, 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 um, the, the sarc- sarcastic remark about J.P. Finley – from you because actually I think you hit on something and that is how they didn't realize that they wouldn't be able to get him if they actually were interested. Now I will tell you that I, from the people that I I sometimes know stuff that I get stuff from, they had no idea. They were caught completely off guard by that story. It almost made me believe that it wasn't true um, but the fact that Albert Breer's reported it now, multiple people have reported it. To me, what you just described is probably the reality of it, which is, yes, I think sometimes those of us in the media can actually forecast on these things a little bit better than even the team can. So uh, it's just like the... That's a bit frightening. Well, it's been it's been the case. Remember, Bruce Allen, I mean, this is something Cooley said on the air that he was dumbfounded at how the Redskins could have possibly, possibly misjudged the worth of Cousins by $30 million, which which apparently the Redskins were completely caught off guard. That a team, well, not, not just one, but that at least two teams would be willing to give Kirk Cousins not only $30 million more in aggregate contract value, but $30 million more in guaranteed money. So they were completely caught off guard. This has nothing to do with whether or not you thought he was worth it or whatever. I'm just telling you, they completely misjudged the market on that. And if they thought they could get Joe Flacco for a fifth and then, you know, restructure his contract where he'd take $6 million a year, they're on crack. Because anybody that – see, it's really interesting about Flacco. And I had this conversation with somebody yesterday afternoon in the local media, by the way. Um, NFL people think much – NFL people respect Flacco and think he's much better than fans do. And therefore, there was going to be a market for him, Jacksonville, Denver, to start with perhaps even Miami, but certainly Jacksonville in Denver. And Flacco was not going to get compared to people like Teddy Bridgewater. All right? He's better. NFL people will look at Flacco and say, if I've got a team around him, I can win with Joe Flacco. I can get to the next step if I'm Jacksonville or if I'm Denver. The Redskins to not... If it's true that they went after him and thought that he, they could get him on the cheap, yes, it's an indication that they were completely clueless as to you know, the market, which they've been before. Tommy, they have. They've missed the market on a lot of different things. So actually, what you're telling me, and this is certainly possible, I guess, because they're capable of anything, is that the media who cover the team 
basically had a better grip on reality than the people who run the team. It wouldn't be the first time, would it? No, it wouldn't. Okay, so, I mean, I, I'm i just saying, I mean, obviously the, the biggest example, not that everybody believed this at the time, but the biggest example would be that the Redskins thought that they had offered Kirk, Guz, Kirk Cousins gold in terms of a deal, and it was so far under market value, projected market value. They didn't see that, yet almost everybody in the media that followed this the day-to-day knew that if he hit the open market, somebody was going to give him close to $30 million a year. Somebody was going to give him, you know, a, a, yeah, a, a, yeah. a ninety, you know, an eighty to ninety million dollar guaranteed deal, and they were offering fifty two. So I yeah, mean, everybody it, knew it was going to be a record setting contract. Yeah. So, Absolutely. but but they didn't because they thought they no. offered the record setting contract. That's the way yeah. they so, they made it out to be. They, Tommy, this is not just. You know, the emotions tied into fans and media members who have rooted for the team, like me, I'm one of those, who are just really angry and upset. This has been a team that has operated without much intelligence over the years. It's not just it's that... Not, that's stunning. But, but, it's, but it's true. I mean, look, it's, they, they've never been... Uh, they're in, they're in the bottom rung of all franchises. We know that, and and in yeah. part of what makes that up is that they're not very intelligent, and they haven't been for a long time. But anyway, uh, I'm actually as someone who's always liked Joe Flacco and thought he was better than most people thought he was. Not that he was elite, but just you know the January Joe you know, nickname was completely, you know, applicable. It was, it was appropriate because every big game that the Ravens have had over the years in December and certainly in January, he's played great in. So I actually think Denver's a great spot for him. I think, I think they've got a chance with another piece or two to contend uh, in the AFC. I agree. I agree. Look, I'm, I'm with you on Flacco. I always thought he was a better quarterback uh, than, than fans wanted to to believe. Uh, would have been a lot of fun, though, if you had Joe Flacco and Antonio Brown uh, <laughs> at training camp in Richmond. A lot more fun than it's going to be. You know, Tommy, the other thing, and I mentioned this too, um, and I think you will appreciate this because you know how well run um, the Ravens are. They would have never traded Joe Flacco to the Redskins. There's so There was so much respect from Bashadi, from... Uh, Harbaugh from all of them in that organization. They were going. They they had to trade him. And if the Redskins had offered a second rounder, they would have taken that. Or if a bad franchise, which would have been an awful place for Joe to end up in, uh, had offered in a, a deal they couldn't turn down. I'm not saying they would have turned that deal down, but apples to apples, they were going to try to do right by Flacco and send yeah. him to a place where he had a chance to compete. Now they p- would have preferred, I'm sure, the NFC. But there aren't any. There really aren't any NFC teams other than the Redskins that need a quarterback. You know that's true. It's actually an interesting year in general with NFL teams. In so many years, there are no less than a half dozen teams. Sometimes as many as ten that are looking for a quarterback. Really, right now. In, in the entirety of the NFL, especially given that some of the teams that have needed quarterbacks in recent years, whether it was the Bills or the Jets or the Browns, they've all drafted those young quarterbacks in recent years. You know, you've, you've seen so many of them drafted. So really, the teams that need quarterbacks, you can count them. Miami needs a quarterback. 
Uh, Cincinnati may or may not need a quarterback. More likely than not, they they don't need one now. Um, Jacksonville needs a quarterback. Denver needs a quarterback. When you get to the NFC, the Redskins potentially need a quarterback. The problem is, is that they're paying one twenty million next year, so they don't have any yeah. room to pay him. Um, the Giants are going to need a quarterback at some point down the road. After that, there's nobody that needs a quarterback. I mean, unless you unless the Arizona Cardinals have given up on Rosen, they they, they drafted one in the first round, t- top twelve picks, t- uh, top ten picks. 49ers have Garoppolo. Seattle's got Russell Wilson. The Rams got Goff. Tampa's going to stick with Jameis. Carolina's got you know Cam. Atlanta's got Matt Ryan. Drew Brees is in New Orleans. Matt Stafford. That's one to watch here over the next couple of years. Stafford in Detroit. But, you know, there's just – there are three or four teams, max, that need quarterbacks this year, which is why, yeah. which is why you know, Denver moving on uh, Flacco um, before Jacksonville could or Miami could or potentially Washington could, maybe there was a little bit of push there. But I also think it speaks to they think he's better than anything out there, and that may even include Nick Foles. But anyway um, – I did want to mention this to you, and we started on this a couple of weeks ago. I did, and then we did together, um, trying to get Kirk Cousins the hell off Twitter. I mean, he's just been out of control on Twitter. And yesterday, he finally made the big mistake. Now, I don't personally think that there was any ill intent in this tweet, but this is the problem when you consistently make, you know, first of all, he tweeted out a picture of himself on a private jet the other day, um, which should be a no-no. But yesterday, he tweeted out the following. In 2010, I was mad at LeBron James for leaving Cleveland, but I've been in Miami for a total of five minutes, and now I totally understand so that that was met with I just, that's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like it's like RT three took over his, his his social media account. What? In that? fact, this is worse. This yeah. is worse. This is so tone deaf. It's a, for for a guy who should know better. Yeah, this is. I mean, for those that have missed it, I've already declared that he's off putting to me now. Um, I'm going to root for him because I want to be right that he ends up being a good quarterback. But the the tone deafness, the um, the detachment from the team's performance from a year ago and how much money was spent and how much anticipation there was for Minnesota to, to not just get to the playoffs but to have a legitimate chance to go beyond where they'd gone the year before in the NFC Championship game to the Super Bowl and they didn't even make the playoffs. There were a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons was Cousins at times in big spots wasn't good enough. But, I mean, to get on social media the way he has in recent weeks, um, this tweet – Look, if, if if he hadn't had the year that he had, if the team hadn't come up as small as it came up, um, and they had gone to the NFC Championship game and they had lost to the Rams or the Saints in a thriller, and he said, I'm in Miami for a total of five minutes and I can understand what LeBron James was doing in leaving Cleveland for, for Miami, it's not a big deal. Because I don't think he's saying, I hate Minnesota, it's too cold, Miami's great. I think he's saying what we all say when we live in colder cities in the middle of February. Oh my God, how nice is it to be in South Florida or Arizona? 
in the middle of winter when you get a chance to do that, if you if you do get a chance to do it. But it, it just reflects somebody that had no idea. Like, he must not be re- reading the responses. The responses range from, uh, I'm in hopes that Miami will have a job avail- available for you real soon. Um, this one was, oh, so it was the cold weather. That explains it. We just all thought you sucked. And it just kept coming. I mean, let me put this con- let me put this conspiracy theory to you. Kirk, when he was here in Washington, he was very careful with what he said. He was not reckless. No, with, with what he would say, he was very guarded on social media, whatever you know. And uh, part of you know the the psychological profile I'm thinking is. Uh, you know, of him doing this now was initially, well, he's got the big contract. He wants to act like a star player. He's been waiting to do this for a long time. He wants the limelight. He wants the attraction and all, all that comes with it. And which includes social media, but what, what if he has decided that, uh, that the Vikings are a train wreck of an organization that my head coach is a disaster, and I need to force my way out of town. No, I don't. I, I, look, I'm not going to discount it as a possibility entirely. I just don't. I, I don't feel that's not my hunch. That's not. I just. But doesn't it seem like me, a guy me, trying me, to piss everybody off? Well, you know, to to that point, it really was an organization, not because of the signing of him, um, but because. There have been some issues with the head coach and the offensive coordinator and the offensive staff already over the years. I mean, he basically ran Norv Turner out of there. Um, So there's been some issues there. Um, You had DiFilippo basically out of there before the end of the season because it wasn't working and he wasn't doing what the head coach wanted him to do and call the kind of game that the head coach wanted him to call. Um, so it may have ended up being an organization that wasn't as built and ready to roll and ready to win big as you know Kirk may have thought. Look, uh, by the way, I think Mike Zimmer is a hell of a co- coach. I think he's I think he's a good coach. I think his defenses are really good. I think he's a good coach, but he also wants to play super conservatively on offense. It's his he wants twenty points and then win the game twenty to seventeen. And they were throwing the yeah. ball all around the park early in the year, and it was keeping them in games, if not winning them games, because they couldn't run the football and they couldn't stop anybody early in the year. But they had issues along the offensive line. But back to Kirk for a moment. I don't think he's trying to talk his way out of Minnesota after after one year. I don't. I just think it's gone completely to his head. And the, the irony of this is that um, put aside some of the you know agendized uh, discussions about what a bad teammate he was that came from a lot of people in the front office you know during uh, Hall of Fame uh, meetings etc. Um, you look at uh, guys that have talked about him in Minnesota. They th- they say he's a great teammate. He never throws anybody under the bus. Nate Burleson. I think I I, I think I talked about this story a, a week ago with you. Um, they were talking about Kirk Cousins on NFL Network, I think it was, and Nate Burleson said, look, I'm still close with a lot of people in the league, and I know a lot of the guys in the Vikings. And the one thing that he did well this year is during all of the 
uh, turmoil, you know, with the offensive coordinator, with the, uh, the the fighting to make the playoffs and then coming up short, is he never once threw one, anybody under the bus, and he always took the shoulder of the blame um, during the course of the season, and teammates like that. Uh, and so at the same time, though, since the season's ended, he's gone on this this, you know, sort of self-absorbed, detached, tone-deaf, social media crusade i don't get it but well he seems he seems too smart to do this that would indicate to me that he may have a motive it's a possibility i guess you know somebody pointed out um that don't when we had this conversation a week ago somebody pointed out kevin don't forget he wrote a book when he was a backup um and and that he was selling you know t-shirts and selling different things on his own website while he was the quarterback here and he yeah, was tra- right. he was tra- trademarking catchphrases and you know you know how do you like me now and all that stuff what was what was the first one from Tampa why am i blanking yeah you I, you like that what was it yeah what am i why am you i like blanking that. on it you like that? Is that what it was? <laughs> See, it, yeah. was, it was memorable, but apparently not for me anymore. Um, anyway, uh, so there was some of that. So maybe there were some indications, but social media wise, interview wise, he didn't, he, he didn't seem this way. And again, I, the, the negotiating of a contract is totally separate from this. For those of you who say he was completely self-absorbed and detached as he was, you know, taking the Redskins money, you know, that, that was, that was a two way street and actually more, more, you know, the, the reality is it was more of a one way street because he would have signed a long-term deal after the 2015 season. But anyway, God, where are you right now? I'm in the lobby of uh Nat's spring training complex. Okay. Was it windy? I mean, I, you know, I mean, it, well, I didn't go out. You know, I would have liked to have done this outside, but I was thinking of you and how sensitive you are to everything when it comes to sound <laughs> and, and stuff. You're okay. so ultra sensitive, okay. like you're broadcasting, you know, a, a signal to Mars or something. <laughs> right. So I right. wanted to make sure there was no yeah. wind or anything like that. So I came inside. Listen, we, we've got we've got the Germans, you know, basically chasing us out of Dunkirk. And we got a big war that looks like we're about to start. So I got to make sure that that red light works and I can sit in front of the mic and fire away, Churchill style. Um, all right. What else? What else do you That's have? That's all I got today, Vaughn. All right. Then I'll talk to you Thursday. Enjoy the weather. You know, we, we don't have the same here. No, I'm, I know. I'm, I, I mean, tomorrow you got snow coming, right? Yeah. Yep. Snow, ice, the whole thing. But by the weekend, it's going to be in the 50s, so it'll be fine. Oh, that's good. All right. Uh, All right, boss. All right, I'll talk to you. Thanks. (laughs) Okay, bye. All right. Uh, Do you know that I have never been to Nat's spring training? Not once. You know, I haven't either. I've been to a lot of spring training, both in Florida and Arizona, but I've never been uh, down to that part. Yeah, I've been to a couple of spring trainings, one in Arizona, one in Florida, um, but uh, neither one of them was planned. I was just down there for spring breaks and playing golf and then ended up going to a spring training game but i've not been to a nat spring training it's not like a big thing on my list of things to do i know for a lot of people it's really fun to go down there in february when it's cold here and spend a few days and now that they're you know not in uh what was the what, what was the place they were in before 
Oh boy, it was uh, Vieira Beach. No, not Vieira Beach. It was Vieira. Yeah, yeah, it was Vieira, and then which was sort of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, uh, and now uh, they're in West Palm, which is much much nicer. Last year I got to go down to spring training, called a Yankees game, and uh, Russell Wilson got an at bat, so that was kind of cool. There you go. Uh, all right, look, uh, Window Nation, real quickly. The deal that they've been offering uh, for a while is going to end this week. So you got to take advantage of it. It is the deal where essentially they're trying to keep all of their installers busy, uh, all of their people busy, and they're giving you the opportunity to buy two windows, get two windows free, and get 0% financing for five full years. Now, there's no limit on the buying windows. If you buy four, you'll get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. Uh, Keep going higher, too. And if you buy a, a house full of windows... Window Nation will pay your heating bill until your new windows are installed. You will save thousands. Window Nation, by the way, does room-by-room install to cause as little disruption as possible uh, while they are paying your heating bill, by the way. Um, They need to keep all their people busy, and this is why they are offering this deal right now. When you buy in the off-season, you pay the lowest prices of the year. If you buy by the end of this week... They will pay your heating bill if you buy a house full of windows. Now, I've mentioned this before. I've purchased windows from Window Nation twice over the last 10 years. It worked for me. Um, it It's worked for everybody that I know. So I'm asking you that if you think you need new windows, give Window Nation a shot. You may be thinking about other window companies. This is the best and the biggest in the country, especially for our area of the country. They know this area. They're going to send somebody out. They're going to give you a free estimate on your windows. There's nothing to risk by having them come out giving you a free estimate. They'll go room by room. They'll tell you where you need windows, where you don't, and they'll give you a price. Uh, Again, right now, buy two, get two free, no limit, plus 0% financing, no interest for five full years. 86690Nation or windownation.com. Tell them that I sent you. All right, a um, couple of NFL-related things. Uh, Antonio Brown, he met with you know Art Rooney II. I mean, he met with their top brass, and apparently they have all agreed that it's time to move on. I think the Steelers probably tried to make a run um, at uh, at keeping him. It makes sense. It's going to be a painful cap hit when they trade him. Right. That's you why know? this all seems weird. This all seems really weird. I, I can't imagine them. First of all, if they are... Just saying, okay, you're done. You don't admit that before you trade him. You have no, no leverage now. No, you don't. Um, the Steelers have always been smart in this particular area. But I think ultimately, once they reached out to try to start to gauge the market, everybody was going to know that they wanted to unload him anyway. I mean, this has not been a secret, the entire Antonio Brown thing here recently. It certainly would make more sense for them to work it out with him if it was workable um, to keep them because there will be an accelerated salary cap hit uh, to the Steelers when they when they do trade him. In terms of the teams that are going to be interested, you know, I look at the teams like a Denver now. Okay, a Denver that's got a defense that has a quarterback with a big arm that has a young running back in Philip Lindsay. Um, they've got some talent on that team, but they need a number one wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders is fine. You add Antonio Brown to that team with Flacco. Um, now, can they afford him? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, the Broncos are, I think, somewhere in the middle of the pack in terms of available salary cap space. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking right now at the odds that, uh, boy, who is it? I think this 49ers. is Bovada. Uh, 49ers actually aren't the favorite right now. The Cardinals have become the favorite. Cardinals at 9-2. to two. Packers and 49ers both at 5-1. to one. Dolphins at 11-2. to two. And then Colts and Raiders at 7-1. I was going to say, the Colts have the most cap space, I think, in this offseason. The Raiders are up there, too. The Browns are up there. They you do know, list the Redskins at twelve to one. Yeah, the Redskins. Antonio Brown is not g- going to end up in Washington. Um, I, I, I don't see that. Re- you know, I, look, I, it, it would have been better for the Steelers to keep him. If I'm a Steelers fan, I'm disappointed that it couldn't get work, worked out. But then potentially, if I'm a Steelers fan, I realize that it's just too much of a disruption to overcome. Even though you've been a pretty good team for a long time now. And at one point during the regular season, it looked like Pittsburgh was a legitimate front runner, um, you know, to win the AFC championship. I mean, they had that long win streak when they were killing people. Remember on a Thursday night, they destroyed Cam Newton and the Panthers. They scored like 50 something. They did the same to Atlanta at one point in the season. And then they lost that game at Denver when Roethlisberger threw the pick on you know, on the goal to go situation at the end of the game where they had a chance to, you know, force overtime, I guess it would have been. Then on a, on a Sunday night game, they had a big lead against the Chargers and blew that. And then they went to the Raiders and lost that game when Ben sat for a big portion of that game. And that, that three-week stretch completely destroyed their season. You know, it, it, it's such a fine line in the NFL every year, every game. I mean, the Steelers at that point, and I'm pulling up their their 2018 results right now. They had the slow start, and then yeah, they had a six game winning streak. You know, they were seven and seven two and one after they beat Jacksonville. And that was the week after crushing Carolina. And they went to Denver. And Denver wasn't a great team. I had Denver that day. I do remember that. Um, And Roethlisberger threw a pick into the end zone at the end of the game. I think it may have been on a first and goal situation. It was a drive. uh, It was third and goal at the two. My fault. Third and goal at the two. And he threw the interception throwing for Antonio Brown. Then the following week on a Sunday night against the Chargers, this was, you know, the Chargers winning all these road games this year in big spots, you know, primetime spots. They led 23 to 7 at halftime over the Chargers, blew that one, lost 33-30. And then the really weird game against the Raiders. Remember that game where Roethlisberger sort of sat for portions of that game because he was a little bit banged up and they were playing Josh Dobbs and all of a sudden Derek Carr gets hot and here come the Raiders and they take the lead and then they put Roethlisberger in. You know, and he and he gives him the drives him to take the lead, and then the Raiders ended up you know driving it back down the field and winning the game, and it's like that's where their season was decided. They had this three game stretch at seven two and one where they looked like the favorite in the AFC North. They looked like, along with Kansas City, more than even New England at at the time, with Kansas City as like the two best teams in the AFC, and then they lost three games that were all winnable. All right there for them to win. And they lost all three of them. And their season, even though they beat the Patriots in Pittsburgh, remember in mid-December, they ended up losing that close game to New Orleans. And then they didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That game to New Orleans was a a backbreaker because they played so well in that game. And they had, um, I believe in that particular game, they had a two, they had the lead late. Wasn't it super late? 
Here it is. Uh, they came back. They took the. They had the lead through most of the fourth quarter, and Breeze drove them late. I think there was a controversial call in that game that I can't remember the specifics of. But anyway, um, now you know they don't make the playoffs at nine six and one. Baltimore makes it, and now the team's going to break up to a certain degree. I mean, the, the Steelers, as we knew them with. With you know Antonio Brown, all the bees, from Roethlisberger ben and, and Bell, Brown and yeah, Bell. we didn't yep. have, we didn't have Bell this year, but um, but yeah, uh, so anyway, that that's their situation. A Pro Football Talk put out a list of the top 100. They ranked the top 100 uh, free agents. Um, this is the first day of franchise tagging. I believe today is the first day of that. Um, Demarcus Lawrence, who's going to be tagged, right? I can't imagine the Cowboys are going to get into a bidding war over Demarcus Lawrence. Is a is Dallas's defense their their front seven was incredible last year. It really was. They he was, had he was already on the tag this year though, wasn't he? He was on the tag this year, but they could they could do it again. Yeah. but I don't know if they're going to do it for. So Demar anyway, Demarcus Lawrence is number one on the list. Clowney's two. Uh, Trey Flowers is three, Grady Jarrett's four, Frank Clark, who really, really, by the end of the year, I mean, this whole season was a havoc wreaker for Seattle. That's your top five. You know, some of the big names, Le'Veon Bell's seventh on the list, Earl Thomas, 10th, Nick Foles is 11th. All right. So he is the first of the quarterbacks ranked, um, Preston Smith on the list put together by pro football talk. And ranking the top 100 uh, free agents. Preston Smith is 13th on that list. Uh, you go down there, other Redskins on the list. Um, uh, ha Ha Clinton Dix is on the list. Like he's in the top 60, I think. Uh, Adrian Peterson's way down at the bottom of the list of the Redskins free agents. Um, you know, most of that's about age. He's 99th on the list. Ty and Secchi's in front of him, actually. He's an unrestricted free agent. Um, there's a name that I've been wanting to mention um, for a while uh, in terms of players who I would like the Redskins to look at. I I don't know what they're they're not going to get much in free agency in terms of wide receivers. Uh, that list is short. In fact, I'll, I'll go through the list right now in terms of wide receivers the way they are ranked. The first wide receiver on the list. I'm going to guess that it's Golden Tate, right? You got to go all the way down. Golden Tate, 31st ranked free agent, is your first wide receiver free agent. Uh, and he doesn't even fit necessarily what the Redskins are going to be looking at. Um, but anyway, it's not a year you're going to get a big, you know, a big free agent wide receiver. What you can get this year in free agency are pass rushers. And, you know, there are guys, and some of these guys are going to be tagged, so it's not going to be it's it's not going to be uh they're not going to be gettable. I mean Preston Smith's 13th on this list, but we've watched him play. He's a good player, but he's an inconsistent player. But there was a player that I wanted the Redskins to draft when he came out as a rookie, the same year Shane uh the same year Preston Smith came out as a rookie, and I love this guy at Missouri and I have liked him a lot at times in Denver. And he is an unrestricted free agent cuz Denver did not pick up the 5th year option on Shane Ray. Shane Ray is a true edge pass rusher. He is also a guy that definitely can play an outside linebacker, you know, position as he did, you know, in Denver in, in a 3-4. He 
He is a speed rusher. I want a speed rusher, an outside speed rusher, which Preston Smith isn't. You know, uh, Ryan Kerrigan isn't. You know, Ryan Anderson isn't. Pernell McPhee actually showed some burst. Um, and the guy that Cooley liked that got uh, some time towards the end of the year. Casanova? Yeah, Casanova's got some speed too. Shane Ray's not even listed on the top 100 free agents. He's a guy that I would think about because he has huge upside. He injured his wrist in uh, 2018, and so he missed some games this year and didn't have the results, which is why there's not going to be a big market for Shane Ray. But that's the kind of player that I think the Redskins need to look at. A true speed edge rusher to go with what they have on the interior, which is real talent in Allen, Ioannidis, and Payne. That's where their talent is. Now they need an edge rusher. Obviously, they can be looking at free agency for a corner, but again, the Redskins can't be big spenders uh, in free agency this year. They're not going to have a ton of cap space. I mean, I I think the, the estimated number right now is somewhere around 18, and maybe they can increase that with some cuts. You know, a Zach Brown, a Vernon Davis, you know, those kinds of moves can... Add another eight to ten million in aggregate to the cap. They'll have some room, um, but uh, you know, typical of the Redskins, I doubt there will be a big name. I think there will be three or four guys that are going to be in the lower end spend. Shane Ray would fit that in the lower end spend. You know, maybe they add a Dante Moncrief for not a lot of money. You know, maybe they add a Kenny Vaccaro, somebody like that as a safety that's not a big spend necessarily. Um, But that's been, you know, Bruce Allen. That's been the Redskins in free agency, you know, over the years. I mean, if we're really talking about what they've done in free agency, if you take the Josh Norman thing, which sort of fell into their lap, the, the Deshaun Jackson thing that came out of nowhere as well, you know, we know what they do. They, they're not big spenders in free agency. They haven't been with Bruce Allen here. It's the Orlando Scandricks and the Pernell McPhees and Paul Richardsons and Kendall Reyes and Stephen Paya and Jerron Johnson and Potros, Terrence Knighton. That was a big get. You know, Vernon Davis was a really good free agent signing, but they, they've been the masters of, of signing average players for great deals. I mean, that's what Bruce Allen... If, if, if Bruce Allen, when he eventually leaves here, and hopefully sooner rather than later, the thing that I'll remember more than anything is how good he was at negotiating great deals for average players. And I, so to think about, you know, will they make a move for Landon Collins? Will they make a move for D Ford or, you know, uh, Teron Matthew or, you know, so, probably not. It's not what they do. It isn't. I, I, I personally think that Preston Smith, and Cooley said this the other day, is a good possibility to stay just because the market's loaded with outside linebackers. I would love to see, I'm, I'm throwing out the first name here, and I'll have more names as we approach uh, the beginning of free agency. Shane Ray, I was always a fan of coming out of Missouri. I was a fan of him in Denver those first few years. If you think about the first few years, he was a good pass rusher. Then he's had some injuries here recently, wrist surgery. I think it was his second or third wrist surgery that he had in 2018. Um, you know, the health is key for him. 
you know, and he had some issues here and there with, you know, some weed, I think, you know, back in the day at Missouri or maybe the first year in the NFL. But that is a guy with edge speed. Uh, they don't have anybody with true edge speed. I'd like to see somebody like that. If they're going to go the route of not spending a whole lot and being, re- you know, fairly conservative in free agency, you know, I want to see a speed rusher. I'd love to see a receiver, but there really aren't any out there. You need depth along the offensive line, and you could use some defensive backs, both corners and safeties. That's sort of where I think the emphasis will be. But really, expect, you know, expect the Jerron Johnson signing or the Stephen Paya or the Greg Toller or Kendall Reyes. This is. This is what Bruce does, you know, unless something really becomes an opportunity, you know, like the, the Josh Norman thing, unexpected that Carolina would rescind the franchise tag, unexpected that Deshaun Jackson would become available, you know, as late as he, as he did. Um, those kinds of things are the, you know, are the outliers. Bruce Allen is looking for players that, uh, don't have big names that don't cost a lot of money that he's evaluated, that he believes he's getting a deal on. You know, that's how he shops. He's looking for the great deal. We haven't found many of them. More of these great deal red tag specials have turned into, you know, shirts with holes in them or pants the first time you threw them into the dry cleaner, gave them to the dry cleaner, they came back three sizes smaller. Nothing really has worked. I mean, Vernon Davis was a, a, a terrific free agent signing. He's been a contributor for a really good price uh, over the years. But I think that's what we're going to expect when we get to, to free agency. They don't have a hell of a lot because of the contract that's taking up a lot of space in the form of a quarterback who likely won't play next year. Um Again, this is a lot of this, you know, feeds into why I believe the blow it up now option should be in play, but it's not. It's not in play because they think they're close. Uh, anyway, uh, real quickly, launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you're looking for an office or a desk to work from occasionally, consider launch workplaces. They've got locations all over town, fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, free parking, 24-7 access, and a lot more. Go to launchworkplaces.com. Call 240-867-14. Ask about the Bethesda location. You'll get a free two-day trial if you mention my name, if you live near here and you're looking for something like that. Launchworkplaces.com or 240-867-14. Barring the absolute uh, unforeseen weather-wise, we will likely be here tomorrow to do a podcast. Um, uh, at the very least, uh, I'll want to talk about whatever happens tonight because I am looking forward to the Maryland game tonight. Uh, thanks to Tommy for calling in. Thanks to Aaron. Have a great day.